Hello everyone and welcome to the Information Entropy Podcast, where we try and take some science, squish it into an hour-long show, and hopefully make it less confusing than it was at the beginning. Last week we explored terraforming and what it would take to transform the planets in our solar system into Earth-like ones. This week though we're going to the opposite end of the spectrum of size and are going to be exploring nanotechnology. If you feel so inclined, you can follow us on Twitter at information. No, that's the Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> it's not just me. Twitter uh... at InfoEntropyPod, Instagram InformationEntropyPod, and of course Spotify, iTunes, or Apple Podcasts, whatever it is now. Um, if you can drop us a rating, that helps us out absolutely massively. And uh, yeah, it makes it so more people can listen to our wonderful tangenting voices. I'm Tom Jenks. As per usual, I am joined by Mitchell Gatting. How are you, mate? I'm doing well. I'm glad that it's not just me that completely floss the intro at times and just can't. We don't know our own uh, social handles. There's just so many, and they couldn't have them all the same for a reason that I can't <laughs> remember. But yeah, they're very similar. I think one of them was too long. I think you did Instagram and then you did Twitter, but it was too long ah, for Twitter. Yes, I think that's 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 how yeah. that went. Yeah, character limits on usernames. Who would yeah. do that? Who would do that? As a cybersecurity professional, who would do that? Maybe we, 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 we could, I'm sure we can change it. Maybe, maybe we'll, I'll look into that over the next couple of days. <laughs> More characters <laughs> is always better. Yes. Harder to guess. Well, All right. Harder to put in, I guess. Depends. <laughs> How, how's like, your week been, mate? Oh, my week has been filled with restless nights and poor sleeping mixed in with playing way too much of daisy i've noticed you on the daisy grind <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it sucked me in it really has i i don't it's okay so daisy is a game from like 2013 it's an old game that was based on a mod of armor if you don't know what armor is it's like a battle war simulation ground troops really into like you control squads and it's all great and grand and actually armor's really good um but made by bohemian they make really good um engines for gaming right which are like a really accurate really good landscapes can do like massive maps massive scales really well so people back in the day they made a mod called DayZ which is obviously Day Zombie, um, on that engine that was just a mod that just got really, really popular over time to the point where Bohemian like, made an official mod and then they made Daisy Standalone, which is a whole game based on that mod. Just they updated it, put in the new and new engine that they used for Armour 3 and just pretty much everything that's there is like in the main Daisy. So you've got like this... If you were to walk across the whole map, it will take you probably about an hour in real life. Um, and it's just this complex system of like crafting, surviving, killing things, that kind of stuff. Also, just, you know, zombies. So, oh, yeah. It's a uh, crucial factor. Yeah, it just pulled me in. It just pulled me in. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. And I've been playing quite a bit of the, well, actually, not quite a bit, but. Uh, after our topic last week, yeah, I've oh, been on yes. uh, Surviving Mars. Surviving, what a brilliant game! How far? How much did you play on it? I've put maybe three or four hours in. It's been quite a heavy work week, uh, oh, so interspersing that with uh, other things because I really like it. 
there's a lot to learn, which makes it kind there of is. intimidating. Um, but I didn't want to just go super easy, you know. Yeah, no, that's and then, that's you know, a couple of times I was like, okay, I've got my little army of robots. And I need to bring people, but people are a problem. So I just kept delaying it. I was yeah. like, people are the best robots. Uh, no, sorry, robots are the best people, even. <laughs> they are, they are, yeah. <laughs> so why get the people here anyway? It just make things, but obviously you need to do that to uh, progress through the story. Yeah, you need people to man your machineries as well. Like, yeah. Um, oh, is it like the, the power production plants or the research plants? You need people to go and you man them. You need people, Which is a shame. Yeah, the worst bit is when you have to barter with the other, with Earth to be like, can you send us some food, please? Because we have none. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I over-prepared. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, so yeah. I had a few fungal farms going before people arrived, fungal and then farms. suddenly there was babies, and I was like, "No, we're going yeah. too quickly. Slow it down. <laughs> you Kick meant, them out. You're there for research. You're not there for babies. <laughs> Come on, guys." Yeah. But, uh, oh dear. Yeah, it's, quite funny. It's 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 a well divided game. There's lots of DLCs which I didn't realize. Yeah, um, there's a ton. There's actually one pretty on brand for last week's topic which is uh green mars i think which is w- where you literally just terraform the entire planet yeah into an earth-like one yeah um, was haven't hopped on that yet though terraforming there's also the underground one yeah uh i can't remember what the other ones are but it's yeah it's just like um, a resource management game there's a lot of balancing that you, there's the added scariness that you could just run out of oxygen and that's yeah that's it yeah yeah uh, it's really funny, like you, it puts you on this like seven soul, seven day trial period where it's like, okay, if no one dies in this period, then we'll happily like, you know, send people up. Um, but even in that period, you can get babies and it's like, well, I don't know what's happening. What What's in the air I'm putting on, but you either turned up pregnant and you didn't check that off on the list. Yeah. Or that should have been you, on you're making check some quick they, they babies. Yeah, exactly. That happens uh, in um, Foundation, doesn't it? I was just, just thinking like the whole sci-fi thing, that if they got pregnant on the way to... When they got kicked off of the planet, so the followers of what's-his-face? Harry Zeldon. Yeah. On their way to the outer... I'm going to call it the outer rim because it's the furthest like place from anything for them to research and get ready. Right, yeah. In the, It's a big thing in the series that if they get pregnant... They don't have to like get rid of the baby. They put their eggs on ice until they get there. Yeah. And then they have artificial insemination and it goes from there, which I thought was a very interesting, very good way of doing it. <laughs> like, I, if, I think like they didn't have to because that woman didn't. No, yeah. But it but was she, more like we got... don't know what's going to happen to the baby in this situation because... You know, most people have tried to avoid it. Like, it's complicated. <laughs> yeah, like, I can imagine the different in gravity and that kind of stuff on a exactly, developing, yeah. like, unborn would be a bit catastrophic. Yeah. Well, the, unknown, the unknowns so. would be catastrophic. Like, would the bone development happen right? If there's suddenly an anti-grav situation, is that going to impose something, like, difficulty? So, yeah, I can, yeah. I can see why. For the... Uh... I was going to say that the civilization in that universe has been around for, you know, thousands of years at that point, and in- intergalactically, let's say, or inter within the galaxy, but, you know, spread around. So you'd imagine they kind of would have explored that before that point. But uh, anyway, we are off topic very quickly. Yeah. 
Um, I've got some news, which is kind of on on brand okay. for this week's episode of nanotechnology. So we've just discovered a few new things about water. Okay. And this came out yesterday, published yesterday in Nature from by researchers at Cambridge University who were looking at what happens to water on the nanoscale. So... They just find out that it's dirty and it's all really dirty. It is filthy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's got an OnlyFans account and everything. <laughs> um, so H2O. This, is, this is what they... <laughs> oh, dearie me. So the researchers say much is known about how bulk water behaves. So uh, how we normally interact with water. Mm-hmm. It expands when it freezes, has a high boiling point. Um but when it's compressed to the nanoscale, the properties change dramatically. And they basically developed a new way to predict this behavior and con- consistently put it under the same, uh, let's say, parameters so they could measure it. Water trapped between membranes or tiny nanoscale cavities is common. It happens a lot in nature, pretty much all the time, like in our bodies, to geological formations. But the water in these kind of cavities behaves very differently and they found it goes through several phases with the two main phases being a hexatic phase where the water acts as neither a solid nor a liquid but kind of something in between and a super ionic phase which occurs at high pressure and the water becomes super conductive propelling protons quickly through ice um, as you may expect it to if you're looking at a conductor and I guess you'll find out why this is important in this episode, but we've got all this like next generation tech coming out, nanotech, as we'll explore today. But really, this is the first time that research has been done to show how water behaves at the nanoscale mm-hmm. reproducibly. And so far, you know, water is everywhere. It's in our bodies. It's in our food. It's Pretty much, if you want to go listen to last week's episode, we'll explain how important it was. It is. It's surprising that this wasn't done before nanotechnology, because uh, this really is a good foundation. Like, how do you expect to build something that's going to work well in a lot of water-based environments without knowing how water reacts at that scale? Mm. So, yeah, important, important discoveries. But it's also nature. So, you know, take it with a pinch of salt. Uh, well-established journal, but they like to publish new things and only new things. And then even if those things turn out to not be that new later on, uh, they still claim it is. It's new. (laughs) It's new, so it must be good. Yeah, exactly. Um, So yeah, interesting. So if you're looking to publish in papers, anyone, and you're like, oh, they published something in here before, that does not mean they'll publish something similar again. Not the same paper, anyway. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I'm rambling about <laughs> things going on in my head. <laughs> not not topical to the show. Uh, not not this episode, at least. Maybe we'll come back to publishing at, at another point, and uh, yeah. I can rant there. But uh, this was your idea, bitch. So why don't you dive into a bit about what nanotechnology is? You always do this to me. I was just I, like, hey, well, it's your episode. I mean, hey, I've also got something to annoy I you in a minute about how it came started. up with geo 
you know, geoengineering came up with oh, terraforming. Oh, that was all me, mate. That came was all up me, with mate. nanotechnology. Oh, that's fine. I'll just single hand. Wow. <laughs> wow. So, got the news. We've done the news section. Time for some nano facts. Really small ones. Get off the show. What? <laughs> really small ones? Yeah. Nan- nano facts? Yeah, it was light pun. It was light puns. Light pun, yeah. To, to lighten the mood. That's the okay. mood. Yeah, bring us, bring us down. In, cl- in, more, more intimate. Into your ears. Yes. Yeah. So, some nano facts. Did you know there are 25 million and 400,000 nanometers in an inch? Uh, that's a lot. Yep. That is a lot, yeah? Yeah. It's one of my favorite sayings, you know. There is an infinite amount of numbers between zero and one. There is. And it doesn't really help put things into perspective <laughs> unless it's in very certain scenarios. Yeah. One of my university lectures uh, was the first to, to say that to me. Uh, and the reason being, and I think I've said this before to you specifically, Tom, was it's cryptography. And we were trying to work out how you would hide a book on just using a toothpick. Right. And... And it's the length of the toothpick could be um, converted into like a like a binary number. So all the characters are converted into numbers and then that's put on as like a zero point. And then that number, which is because there's an infinite amount of numbers between, you know, zero and one, you could make that the width of the toothpick. Have to be very, very precise in your, right. your toothpick. But yeah. That makes sense. It's just very hard because, like, the toothpick has a certain degree at which it'll stop becoming a toothpick, right? Yeah. So the actual practical <laughs> applications a, of that a are physics limited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you could easily do like one point, two point, three point. Like it's for sure. Yeah, it's yeah. Just, it's just the the whole idea. Like there is a ridiculous amount of numbers. And you shouldn't limit yourself. Thinking, oh, 100%. Like, yeah. Not. But okay, so uh, going back to the nano facts, a sheet of newspaper is about 100,000 nanometers thick. Okay. It's really thick, those those sheet of newspapers. But um, on, on the nano scale, yeah. mountains, mate. M- mountains. Making the mountains out of molehills here. On a comparative scale, if a marble were a nanometer, then a one meter would be the size of Earth. That's, that's a good way of... Yeah, that's, in your mind. The, that's the one I find the most useful because, like, a, a newspaper, okay, I know that's really thin, but telling me I can divide that into 100,000 doesn't make it any easier. Yeah. At least, like, the marble-to-earth comparison is a bit like, okay, well, I know earth is massive and I'm, I can marble's not. What's I don't know, it just makes that a bit... ratio. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's a good one yeah. that should be an interview question like if any, if you're in an interview right and they're like do you have any questions just ask them what the <laughs> marble to earth ratio is yeah how many marbles to make up enough one no <laughs> at least one <laughs> I, I, I people hate people saying that but I absolutely love it it's been like yes it's definitely at least one and they're like there's way no way it's way more than that and you're like yeah that's why I said at least one like you never know in the future we could just 
make giant marbles. That's true. Imagine and that. uh, they could be the size of Earth, in which case you'd still be right. I mean, you know. Yeah, you could. Big old marbles. Big old marbles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> have you got any more nano facts? For I, us? D- I do. I, ha- I have uh, some more relevant ones, um, which is that nanotechnology was actually first introduced in 1959 by the Nobel Prize winning physicist Richard Feynman. Ah, see, this Feynman. is what I thought might annoy you. Uh, yeah, you know, it does a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> this is why. This is why it was. It wasn't like first discovered. It was first introduced. Yeah. So it was like they're not, not claiming like... that he found it and he was the find. It was just like the idea of really, really, really small robots came around. Was introduced. It was the first time it was introduced as a concept, which is fine. Yeah. Uh, but he did more than just introduce it. Like he actually had a theory and a hypothesis, and actually went through it a bit. Yeah, so I guess, I guess, I guess yeah, yeah. Okay, he hasn't just so be- it's not, he's better it's, than it, the other people who were just credited with. Yeah, it's not just like a footnote in some document book, article. Yeah, in book a cafe. Somewhere. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> somewhere. Like he's actually done it, and it. So he proposed. His proposal was using normal-sized robots to cr- construct smaller replicas of themselves and then doing that ad infinum. Like, just keep doing it. So then, like, the smaller robots make smaller robots that make the smaller robots, which can then, until the molecular sizes then reach, and it stops. Yeah. Absolutely correct. So, how do you feel about that? I feel like we're arriving back to the infinite zero and one thing. Um, <laughs> that's how I feel about that, to be honest. Small. It's very small. Everything Overwhelmed. Makes you, makes you feel small, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's a shame. I mean, it makes sense. Does it? But they would have... Anyway, I'm going to say... I was going to say something that doesn't make sense unless you know what I know, and we haven't gone through the show yet for you to know that. So maybe we can return to that at the end. <laughs> I want to know what you know. What do you know? Oh, man, I'm gonna, I've got all my notes here. I can just reel it all off you if you like. Okay, we'll get, we'll get around to what you know in a bit. Oh, no, it wasn't anything specific. It was just oh. more the general topic of nanotechnology, which since we haven't even spoken about what it is yet or anything, it wouldn't make sense to anyone listening uh, <laughs> or being introduced to nanotechnology <laughs> for the first time. Okay. Okay. <laughs> right. I've got two more, two more facts. All right. The uh, the discovery of another nanoscale carbon form, C60, called the Buckyball, brought the 1996 Nobel Prize in Chemistry to Robert Curl, Sir Harold Croto, and Richard Smalley. It started an avalanche of research into other nanoscale materials. So we got taught in school about the Buckyball because it was that important. Did we? Yeah, we did in physics. I don't remember that at all. Uh, yeah, but you were more like the the drawing, the painting in, and the colouring in side of science, weren't you? Yeah. <laughs> Still am, mate. That's why I, <laughs> yes, that's why I do the field work I do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> dear me. Yeah. Which, yeah, it's just like a, the hexagon in a, in a lattice, then it forms a ball that makes the buckyball. And it's quite, quite uh, important. Okay. Yeah. Um, final final fact: L'Oreal 
developed na- a nano size v- vehicle called nanosomes. And they are used to transport active ingredients such as pure vitamin E through the skin. Oh, I've seen stuff like that. Well, maybe we've spoken about it before. Maybe. It's, it's, it's you know what? It's a possibility. It's quite a big possibility. It's a possibility. We spe- you know I what? Think, over, I think we over have. years, we've spoken about many, many a thing. Random things as well. Yeah, not the best. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think it's all grade A material. Yeah. Oh dear. Um, cool. What, what, what might what might you use that? Are you talking about L'Oreal as in the uh, the hair company? The yeah. hair company, right? Okay. So the the idea is, what's the the best way for them to deliver, you know, products into and around the skin, around the scalp? So they developed like a nano vehicle, essentially, okay. to deliver. The vitamin E through the skin as as best as possible. Ah, oh, that's interesting. And is that like marketed? Is that sold, or is that like just a uh, yeah. experiment? No, no, no. It's it's a, a sold thing. Oh wow! Yeah, just in their normal shampoo. Yeah, it's the normal shampoo. They, I think they they don't call it like. Actually, no, I think they do say it's, it's like a buzzword. They're like, oh, we use nanotechnology. That's, this is back when L'Oreal, I think, actually did advert. Oh, I don't think they do, they do right. anymore. But like, they were like, yeah, we use nanotechnology. I presume whenever I saw that, they were just to... using that to produce, not literally putting nanotech on your skin. Yeah, it's all nanotech, mate. Oh, wow. All, all the way down. <laughs> it's nanotech. All the way down. Yeah. What a world we live in. What? Yeah. Holy smokes. I keep, keep telling you. Keep telling you. Fair. All right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, nanotech then. Yeah, um, what is what, what is what is? So I've split this into two. Oh, okay. I've got nanotechnology and nanomaterials. Oh, okay. Because I thought that like having them split out was would be better. Sure. Uh, purely from like a understanding point of view okay uh i've gone for more what is it fundamental concepts um so why don't i do a bit of fundamental concepts Go for and it. then we'll come to your split because i'm interested to see what what that is okay um defining it first though i know we mentioned nanotechnology a lot but what that actually mean is it's the branch of technology that deals with dimensions and tolerances less than 100 nanometers. And that's why Mitch was giving you the very good examples of marbles to earths. Um, <laughs> yeah. So if, with, with that comparison, anything smaller than 100 marbles, you could deal with. And it's especially the manipulation of individual atoms and molecules and a lot of the time we think of robots and things like that right but the more i researched the less that is like a part of it is like miniature robots and things like that but it's not just that it's also building let's say biological robots or just materials uh, from the nanoscale or something like that so i've got some fundamental concepts that may just uh, enlighten it certainly enlightened me about why the nanoscale is so different to like the normal scale of things okay. right so there are two main approaches used 
in nanotechnology. One is the bottom-up approach. And this is where things are built from molecular components that then assemble themselves chemically. Or the top-down approach, where nano-objects are constructed from larger entities. So, thinking about the larger realm of, that we live in, let's say, yeah. bulk water to the nano-water level, right? Several phenomena become pronounced as the size of the system you're working with decreases. One of these is the quantum size effect, where the electric properties of solids are altered with great reduction in the size of their particles. Now, it doesn't come into play when we're switching from like macro to micro. So like if uh, I've got a glass of water and then I put it under the microscope, nothing really changes there. But as soon as we start entering the nanometer size range, typically at 100 nanometers or less, this is where we get into the quantum realm. So if you're into Ant-Man, <laughs> this is your region. Let's reference that. <laughs> <laughs> good if you so, don't want to be Thanos snapped exactly mm-hmm. I don't know no, no I was going to take that a completely wrong route there so I'm not going to do that um, a number of physical properties will also change uh, compared to the normal size systems as well and one of these is particularly the surface area to volume ratio like if I've got a nanoparticle in my hand the surface area to volume ratio is you know tiny right mm-hmm. But if I am nano-sized, suddenly that's going to seem a lot bigger. Materials reduced to the nanoscale can show very different properties compared to what they exhibit on the macro scale, enabling unique applications. For instance, opaque substances become transparent. Mm -hmm. For example, copper becomes transparent on the nanoscale. Stable materials can turn combustible, so aluminium sets on fire in the nanoscale, Insoluble materials become soluble, so you can mix gold into a soluble substance on the nanoscale, which obviously, if I put some gold in some water, nothing's happening to that. Yeah. Um, And gold, which is normally very stable on normal scales, is a very potent catalyst on the nanoscale. Mm -hmm. Yes. So fundamental properties change when you shrink things down, when you change the scale. Uh, more than that, we've got from a simple system to complex systems where, especially in synthetic chemistry right now, we're at a point where we can prepare molecules into kind of any structure we want. And this is how pharmaceuticals are made and especially commercial polymers as well. But what they want to do is take that technology and apply it to single atoms within a molecule or well, I guess that you'd just be determining the molecule then, but specific molecules, so they're arranged in a very well-defined manner. Mm-hmm. And it basically utilizes the concept of molecular self-assembly, where you've got the molecules that you made, and you just throw them together, and you're like, they're going to make themselves into the shape that we pre-designed. Yes. And how do you do that? Basically, you go, okay, this shape's going to fit that shape, and we're going to shake them up, and then hopefully they'll just kind of come together which inevitably they do because you've got so many in there and kind of weak forces that you design within the structure. Then molecular nanotechnology is kind of the last fundamental thing to go over. It describes engineered nanosystems which operate on the molecular scale. Now, this is especially associated with a thing called a molecular assembler, 
which is a tiny machine that can produce a desired structure or device atom by atom. Now, this is like the real nanorobot kind of thing, but it's more biological. Okay. So a guy called Eric Drexler, uh, he independently came up with the term nanotechnology uh, around the same time it was first introduced. But instead of looking at robots and thinking, okay, they can build smaller versions of themselves, he looked at biological organisms and went, look, there are stochastically stable machines here. You look inside the cell and you've got transport proteins bringing things around. You know, they never really go wrong. And when they do, they get shut down. Mm -hmm. Why don't we just kind of make biological robots, more synthetic biological robots? So that hasn't particularly been accomplished so far. If we're just, I don't want to open the whole Xenobots wormhole uh, <laughs> that we often get sucked into. <laughs> yeah, uh, no but that, there's a lot of research being put into that uh, at the minute. And I mean, I can definitely see why, because oh, yeah. our bodies are used to it. So if you wanted to use it for medicine, let's say, you're not technically introducing anything that's foreign material. Mm-hmm. Like if you're introducing proteins, your body's going to go, oh, look, it's another protein on its way to work. Whereas if there's like a little robot swimming around, your body might be like, why do we have titanium or carbon <laughs> yeah. looking like that inside our bloodstream, you know? Uh, so, yeah. yeah, I guess the main takeaways of the concepts here are when you shrink things down, weird stuff happens. <laughs> when you make simple things more complex weird stuff happens yeah. <laughs> and uh we can make biological robots let's say um and i think that is kind of a newer branch of nanotechnology mm-hmm. definitely so yeah or i'm interested to know what your your split is of nanotechnology Ah, uh, it's not like a split of nanotechnology i i split the research that i carried out into nanotechnology and nanomaterials Okay. Yeah. I, go I think for it. you covered a bit, of, a bit, a bit of both. So there may be some overlap here. Oh, sorry, mate. I, I didn't mean to step on your feet there. I don't know. It's not. No. I mean, like, if there's a Venn diagram, it's all good content. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I've been dealing with way too many Venn diagrams recently. Really? Anything, oh yeah. Anything you can speak about? Nothing I can speak about. No. Oh. But, uh, boo. NDAs. Boo. I know. Three-dimensional mapping. And overlaps. Wow. Fun stuff, yeah. Yeah, sounds gripping. Do you know what, though? When you're actually working on something in the real world, it's not just like, oh, here, uh, here's some data we've given you to practice on. They do it. It, it is a lot more gripping, because at least you go, oh, I know that dot. <laughs> I know where that dot has come from. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> so, like, let's say you're in university, right, and you're studying... Yeah. Whatever. And they're like, okay, here's a data set, create a map or study it and do this to it and get the right answer or the answer we expect you to to see with this data set. Okay, yeah, yeah. There's no kind of connection there. You're like, okay, this is work, right? Mm -hmm. I'm doing it because I have to. Yeah. But even when you're doing the same things that in that environment you might consider very boring with your own data set, at least you can look on a graph and go, I know where that dot came from. Okay, I see. It's a lot less yeah, yeah, boring a, when you've gone and collected the data. You're saying that, like, university learning, there's 
just a psychological disconnect of it. It's just a sample. It's it's just meaningless at that stage. Yeah. Whereas, and I think that's an issue because that's been the case since ever you got to school. You've never gone yeah. and collected your own data, mm-hmm. really. Like, that's a real thing yeah. that I had to fight with See, it's up a, until this point. It's a bit, in my field... It's a bit more alarming when that happens because <laughs> <laughs> at university, you're like, oh yeah, this is a, this is a you can tell from these indicators, uh, like this is a like a DDoS attack that's happening. That obviously the company that this happened to is going through like bad times. Hopefully they've got a good like disaster recovery plan and business continuity plan. That happens to me now. I'm like, someone help me. <laughs> <laughs> this is the worst thing that's ever happened because I have to do that's not me I, I'm not but that's that, also that another thing. thing right it's like at uni it's like you've got to do it to show that you can do it but in the real world it's very unlikely that you're going to be the one to has to deal with it alone yeah that, that's the thing like if there's a, there's a whole team so yeah. it's not just end world scenario from the get go which is nice yeah that's funny though yeah Anyway, sorry, I derailed us again. <laughs> it's quite, <laughs> right. It's quite right. It's what people tune in for. Is the friendly, friendly banter? Yes. Yeah, I've heard people who've tuned in told me. Oh, that's a, good. On a, on a personal level, that's what they they enjoy us just chatting. Right. So, you know, just the podcast is next door. You know, giving off that vibe. <laughs> 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 we are the podcasters next door that is the yeah. vibe that we are going for apparently right let's not take that to a tagline Cute nerds next door <laughs> let's go in your area <laughs> i wonder if there is like a oh i'm sure dating I'm app for like sure. scientists high-end scientists isn't there a correlation between like uh, intelligence and being like more picky with your partner. Yes. Uh, and we find like it's difficult for, especially like um, women who've got like doctorates and like many doctorates or like masters and stuff, because m- there's a certain subset of men who I just I don't understand personally, but like the inferiority complex of it's on if you're with someone that's got like a doctorate, they just can't deal with it. Which is ridiculous. I don't know why anybody would have that. Like, you can be like, this is my wife. She's incredibly intelligent. <laughs> um, right, yeah. But then on the flip side, the people, like, they just don't want, they want intellectual levels. They want, you know, beyond par. Which completely makes sense, right? Yeah, 100%. Absolutely. More power to educated people. Yeah. Just if you educate, just if you educate, we'll stop. Brilliant. Never, never, yeah, stop, exactly. never stop being educated. Um, so I found some very interesting scientist dating apps. Okay. Uh, <laughs> dateplayer2.com is right. the Nerd Dating UK site looking and, for single gamers, geeks, and nerds. Okay, so that's like not academics. That's just like nerds. That's just purely we're, we're reaching out <laughs> to the nerds here. I need a Valorant e-girl. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Pretty much. Um, there's SciMatch, which okay. is the all-new app that uses science to help you connect with genuine, like-minded individuals. Okay, so that just uses science. Yeah, it's just using, I would hope all dating apps use science in some kind of manner. Um, there's an app called Paper, Paper, 
I don't know. It's P A P R. I don't know what pronunciation they're going for here. Okay. Um, but it's an app that lets researchers rate life sciences abstracts by swiping across the screen like Tinder. Okay, that's what. And then they get a date with the person that wrote it, or is it just purely like rating? I think abstracts? that's like your abstract sucks. <laughs> Which is fairly like, interesting, but I don't yeah. know how like respected, like you, whether that get you onto a journal or anything. It's like okay, abstract sucks. Go next, Gigi no re. Um, I, I think it's more like if you're going through like testing phases of like what would make what would be a popular abstract. So it, like Maybe. if you're in your discovery phase of like you don't know really what to what you're going to research next, so you come up with a good abstract. Like, it doesn't have to be, like, a finished thing just to see, like, prompts. Yeah, maybe. Uh, there's Academic Singles. It's the uh, free yeah. premium dating app you for have to... educated, interesting singles <laughs> who are looking for a relationship that offers more. You know what I would find actually hilarious? There's, like, different tiers, and you have to prove with your degree, <laughs> like, your degree level. Where, like, you have to scan your certificate of what that level you are. That would be funny. So, like, if you're like, oh, I only want doctors, to get only doctors, you have to also be just a doctor, otherwise you get everything. So, you're like... Oh, uh, yeah, unless there's, like, select what you're interested in. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. like, if you only had, like, a... Uh, like a like a, I don't know what I've got. What have I got? Dom, postgrad, bachelor of science, bachelor of science. Yeah, if you yeah. like, like I personally couldn't be like, you know, I want, I just want doctors because I don't have that level to be like. Well, you could. It's just whether doctors only want postgrads. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to see whether you'd get yeah. any matches back. Oh yeah, but I mean, like solely, I would, I would have oh, to go I for see. everybody because I'm on the low end of the spectrum. We're a doctor. You want a doctor, daddy. <laughs> <laughs> Doctor Daddy. The thing is, most <laughs> like scientists and researchers aren't that well paid, so I don't think and they they've got they don't have the cash flow to be a daddy. Uh, so it's the other way around. <laughs> it's it's the, the higher educated you are, the more you're looking for people with money. So you're looking for like I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Boy toys. Yeah. Right. Essentially. Let's get back to uh, nanotechnology. There's others as well, but yeah, let's get back on track. <laughs> and I'm going to delete that from my history so I never have to look at that again. <laughs> Maybe we should paint on that. It's a good idea. The whole, you know, connecting based on certifications. Some people, it's like, I bet it's a people argue it's discrimination on some point. I don't know. Intellectual discrimination. Is that a thing? True. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Let's just ignore that. Yeah. So. What can that? So I'm sorry like, for your can, weekly scheduled tangent of scientists dating apps. What can <laughs> nanotechnology do? I, I don't know. Is this part of your your split? No, 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 no. Because the split is one's materials. This is just what technology in general can do. So uh, efficiency of energy consumption. Oh clean, yeah. Clean environments. Solve yes. major health problems. Uh, we'll see manufacturing uh, increasing manufacturing production at uh significantly reduced costs potentially yeah yeah um potentially well i mean it could all go awry you never know that's true so generally products of nanotechnology will be smaller cheaper lighter yet more functional require less energy and fewer raw materials to manufacture this is a big caveat claim nanotech advocates um 
Where is it currently developing across the world? So it's not just like one place. It's currently being developed in Brazil, Chile, China, India, the Philippines, South Korea, South Africa, and Thailand. Uh, they've all shown their commitment to nanotechnology by establishing government-funded program and research institutes for it. And researchers at the University of Toronto's Joint Centre for Bioethics have classified these countries as frontrunners. So uh, that is China, South Korea, and India. You've got the middle ground players, which is Thailand, the Philippines, South Africa, and Brazil. Uh, in addition, Argentina and Mexico are up-and-comers Although they have research groups studying nanotechnology, the governments have not yet organized dedicated funding. So lots of different organizations across the world are now investing in nanotechnology because it's the biggest, I say the biggest, ha-ha, but um, the smallest, <laughs> biggest new thing. Um, and I, I don't want to sound like politically incorrect, but that's not the countries you'd expect specifically wow. to be front runners mm, wow it, and it's not because they're not capable it's just mm, wow. <laughs> <laughs> do you get what i mean what i'm trying to say though like no, normally... no I, I disagree like okay so so china is obviously uh, china, they sure. probably haven't researched it themselves they've probably done some corporate espionage and stole it <laughs> from somewhere else because that's what they For love sure. to do have you seen their recent new um vehicle that's super wide and can fit like eight people in no have a look at it i can't remember what it's called but google it'd be like china new vehicle super wide it looks really weird china wide joy um but like south korea is like they're really their their technology and research stuff is like super top notch Along with India, they've, they've come just, on leaps and bounds. When I think of... I, okay, I guess the, the top three there, there makes sense. But like, I don't think of Argentina, Brazil, and Thailand as being like near the forefront of nanotechnology. It's just... There aren't, just aren't countries that I've heard before being associated with it. But it's absolutely mm. fantastic. Yeah. I think a lot of it's possibly if they want to get ahead of the manufacturing race, they need to be front runners on like efficiency gains like if they can increase their efficiency manufacturing something by like 10 percent, that is enough for them to win like millions of pounds of contracts and also it sets them up for the future doesn't it right like yeah like if they've got the infrastructure the in place then mm -hmm. that's what people are, that's actually fantastic and i think a really smart move yeah so what i'm having no luck with this vehicle search that oh. i found a massive pink like Tonka truck, but obviously it's quarry size. Um. Anyway, not important. Yeah, Nanotech, go. <laughs> um, so, what are the potential benefits for developing countries? Uh, so, nanotechnology holds the promise of new solutions to that hinder the development of poor countries, especially in relations to health and sanitation, food security, and the environment. In its 2005 report entitled Innovation, Applying Knowledge in Development, the UN Millennium Project Task Force, uh, I would hate to be on that task force, so don't name it something else, on science, technology and innovation wrote, nanotechnology is likely to be particularly important in the developing world because it involves little labour, land or maintenance, it is highly productive and inexpensive and it requires only a modest amount of materials and energy. So this is for things like um, water. If you're like filtering water, if you're using those technologies, like it's it's ridiculous how clean you can make water by 
well, there's the first one that there's a couple. You can have like metal systems that you pass the water through, or there's ones that you that like little balls, nano balls that you pour into water, and all the uh like dirt and bacteria because of you said before about the surface area being large compared to the size it like clumps to it and then sits at the bottom of the the bottle that you've poured it into so you like pour off the top half and then you just rinse and repeat until you've got a completely clean water and That's there was there's cool. a youtube channel that I, it's a survival youtube channel that i watch he got hold of some and it was like right i'm gonna put this like to the hardest test and he pretty much went and got like bog water from oh, like the, the I, super I know mud. Uh, yeah, yeah, and it's actually ridiculous, and it's just it's literally just mud that he went and got, uh, yeah. and then passed it through this um, filter with the stuff in it multiple times until it was just like, yeah, this is drinkable water. <laughs> like you had to do it, I think, four times because it was that dirty. But it, well, in, in it did it, which is yeah, madness. absolutely yeah. crazy. Um, yeah, that's really cool. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, to be fair, it doesn't. I don't think it's going to take a lot to improve our current water treatment system. <laughs> yeah, uh, um, currently all in the UK. Will really help. Pump it into the sea. <laughs> yep. I mean, the regulations have actually gone up a lot in, in recent years. Um, yeah, but in the I, UK, but the regulations they've put in, there's like so much space for them to be like, oh, I can't handle it. Just means we can pump into it. But, yeah. Yeah. Regulations is. As someone that works in compliance, you can interpret, misinterpret, <laughs> interpret it how you want, argue the points depending on where you stand. Yeah, lots of get-out clauses and all that jazz. All that jazz. Fun stuff. Yeah, there's a lot of difference between saying we must do something and we should do something, as I found oh, out. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, on the note of cleaning water, did you look at oil spills at all in your research? Um... No, I don't think I did. Well, I'll just tack it on here very quickly if that's all right. Mm-hmm. Essentially, what you're saying, they've made nanowires as well. Like oil spills, uh, the Environmental Protection Agency documents more than 10,000 oil spells, spills per year, right? So that's a lot. A lot of yeah. oil is going into the water. And normally they use biological dispersing or gelling agents, but they don't really do that much. They you know, allow you to retrieve a lot of the oil. A lot of it's just kind of broken up and left in the environment, but the oil is lost, right? You can't recover it. Mm-hmm. Nanowires, though, are thought to change that. It's basically very thin, obviously, nanoscale wires, and it's a mesh that absorbs up to 20 times its weight in hydrophobic liquids. Mm-hmm. So it soaks up all of, well, 20 times how much it weighs in oil and leaves the water behind so it separates them in situ like as you're doing it mm-hmm. um and it also then you just boil the oil off the mesh to get it off and okay. the mesh is resistant to heat good. and then you basically got the, the nano wires which you can use again and oil that has been completely separated from any water and is completely usable which is great I guess if you're an investor mm-hmm. and don't want to lose your oil, but it's also good for actually getting out of the environment. And I saw some yeah. news yesterday that human hair is being used for the same thing. And people, are, I think, I can't remember which country it's in, but they just had a massive oil spill there. 
and they're making they're printing like mats of human hair and they're using these mats like a literal doormat to soak to uh, dip in the water and it basically just takes the oil out and leaves the water behind completely clean it's really weird and really cool mm. but yeah sorry yeah. oil environmental protection yeah oils oh just the worst. Yeah, nasty stuff. Nasty stuff. Mm-hmm. Right, moving on. Going to talk a bit about man- carbon nanotubes. This is kind of I picked up on the buzzword. This is what you, you always hear in the in the news in science articles like carbon nanotubes. So what are they? Yes. How are they made and what they're used for? So carbon nanotubes, or as we're going to abbreviate in this cool new segment, it's called CNTs. They are. Cylindrical molecules that consist of rolled up sheets of a single layer of carbon atoms, graphene. So if you imagine you've got yourself um, a Yule log, do you want to know what Yule logs are? Tom, do you know what Yule log um, is? I mean, I absolutely devour them, but uh, I, I guess there are many people who won't know what a Yule log is specifically. Is it the same as a Swiss roll? Am I thinking of the same thing? It's they're they're slightly different, I think. Right? I mean, yeah, but in like- the, I mean like in the shape. So essentially what the... If you imagine um, the way that they show this on all like videos and science stuff is if you get like pencil and you get sellotape and you you give uh, or sticky tape and shouldn't be using brands here uh, you like you draw on the sticky tape and then you make that into a circle that is essentially what a nanotube is it is like graphene wrapped in a circle on a very nanoscale yes. Um, they can be single-walled, so SWCNTs, with a diameter of less than one nanometer, or multi-walled, so MWCNTs, consisting of several concentric- concentrically interlinked nanotubes with diameters reaching more than 10 nanometers. Um, their length can reach several micrometers or even millimeters. Uh, that's a lot of nanotubes. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you can stack them. They, they're like... Building if tree. Earth was the size of a marble, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. yeah. No, I was going to ask how many marbles it would be, <laughs> but uh, don't don't worry. So, like their building blocks, graphene CNTs are chemically bonded with sp two bonds, which are extremely strong uh, forms of molecular interactions that keep them tight and all powerfully strong together. This feature combined with carbon nanotubes' natural inclination to rope together via van der Waals forces, which I believe that you mentioned earlier, um, provide the opportunity to develop ultra-high-strength, low-weight materials that process highly conductive electrical and thermal properties, which makes them, as we said before, very attractive for numerous applications. I'm beginning to sound like a sales pitch here. Um, <laughs> yeah, come on, we've got to keep the investors happy. Yeah. So some This is all one giant ad. <laughs> yeah, for Squarespace. Hashtag sponsor. Note <laughs> <laughs> like for Raid Shadow Legends. I was about to say, yeah, so if you want to get some of the new weaponry in Raid Shadow Legends made of nanotubes... <laughs> to download Raid Shadow Legends now to oh, get 10 dear. free nanotubes. So properties yeah. of Hashtag carbon. not sponsored, by the <laughs> yeah. way. No. Don't sue us for taking the piss. Oh, they love Squarespace. it. Squarespace. Yeah. Or Raid. Yeah. Um, Paid Shadow Legends. Yeah. <laughs> so, the properties of carbon nanotubes. 
Apart from their electrical properties, which are inherent from graphene, CNTs also have unique thermal mechanical properties, uh, which means their mechanical tensile strength can be 400 times that of steel. They are very lightweight. Their density is one-sixth of steel. Uh, their thermal conductivity is better than that of a diamond. They have a very high aspect ratio greater than uh, thousands, i.e. in relation to their length, they are extremely thin. A tip surface area near the theoretical limit, so the smaller the tip surface area, the more concentrated the electric field, and the greater the field enhancement factor. And just like graphene, they are highly chemically stable and resist virtually any chemical impacts unless they are simultaneously exposed to high temperatures and oxygen, a property that makes them extremely resistant to corrosion. Like, it's like a wonder, wonder material. I was about to say, this thing is just better than every other thing that it's famous for being good at. Yeah, which is it's funny, really. Have um, they tried lasers yet? I think they probably have, yes. <laughs> so, another thing, continuing. Because they have uh, hollow interiors, they can be filled with various nanomaterials, uh, separating and shielding them from the surrounding environment, a property that is extremely useful for nanomedicines, ex- like, uh, like drug delivery, all these properties make carbon nanotubes ideal candidates for electronical devices, chemical, electrochemical, and biosensors, transistors, electron field emitters, lithium-ion batteries, white light sources, hydrogen store cells, uh, cathode ray tubes, electrostatic discharges, and electroshielding applications. The difference between carbon nanotubes and car- carbon nanofibers, uh, so uh, it's just essentially the length. Okay. Yeah. They, and they tell you not to worry about that, but there's a different name for it. Yeah. So carbon, yeah. So it's carbon, like, so carbon fibers. So there's nano carbon fibers and carbon fibers. Carbon fibers have been used for decades to strengthen compounds because you get like carbon fiber wings, carbon fiber, like car parts, carbon fiber surfboards I've seen. Um, yeah but they don't actually have the same lattice structure as carbon nanotubes. Like I said, okay. they consist of a combination of several forms of carbon and several layers of graphite, which are then stacked on top of each other at various angles. Um, so well, I think that makes sense, right? Because yeah. like when we think of nanotechnology, they literally you know, have the ability to make it very precise on a very small scale. So it makes sense that they have maybe a more arranged property compared mm-hmm. to carbon fiber. Yes. Um, They have similar properties, but their tensile strength is much lower um, and they're not hollow inside. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Google Scholar has returned lots of wonderful results about single-walled carbon nanotubes being preferentially destroyed by laser irradiation. Oh. Uh... Preferential destruction of metallic single-walled carbon nanotubes by laser irradiation. I mean, that's just a cool title. I don't understand all the words. (laughs) I think they're trying to destroy nanotubes with lasers. And it's not working? Um, I think they're just seeing how. They even use two lasers in this one. Oh, wow. Yes. You know it's good. Well, they've got the funding. Yeah. They've obviously got the funding. They've got two lasers. 
And I bet you they're not on any normal lasers as well. I bet you they're like the fancy laser lasers. laser irradiation in air, metallic single-walled carbon nanotubes in a carbon nanotube thin film can be destroyed in preference to their semiconducting counterparts. Uh, so it's basically saying, we're going to fire a laser at this thing and we're going to destroy the carbon nanotubes and not the thing they are conducting or protecting. Okay. Oh, so that's useful. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Do I do I have enough time to briefly talk about nanomaterials? Oh, of course you do, mate. It's important. Go for it. Uh, so nanomaterials can be defined as materials possessing, at minimum, one external dimension measuring one to a hundred nanometers. Uh, this definition was given by the European Commission, states that the particle size of at least half of the particles in the number distribution must measure at hundred nanometers or below. So. Okay. Half the particles in whatever you're doing has to be that low. Um, nanomaterials can occur naturally. They can be created as byproducts of combustion reactions or be produced purposely through engineering or specialist functions. Um, so what are the uses of nanomaterials? Uh, we've I pretty much just talked about that. I'm not going to chat about that. But <laughs> I, I, I did write a bit in the healthcare field, so explaining a bit more. Uh the yes, example is it utilizes nanomaterials uh, for drug delivery, which you said. One example of this p- process is whereby nanoparticles are being developed to assist the transportation of chemotherapy drugs directly to cancerous growths, as well as it deliver drugs to areas of arteries that are damaged in order to fight cardiovascular diseases. Um, which is really interesting, right? Because mm. different types of cells have different properties to them on the cell wall, right? They signal differently. They have different receptors. Mm-hmm. So you can basically program a nanoparticle to go, okay, when you find this receptor, which only, say, a cancer cell has, yeah, then target that cell. And so it'll just avoid every single healthy cell it finds along yeah. the way, which is really cool. Isn't there, like, a, the, 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 the nanobot that you, they program to go to a specific area and to get it there, they use, like, a laser to get yes. it to, and then it only activates when it's in the, the crossover between the two lasers yes yeah, yeah. that's the chemotherapy one I think they had this yeah. absolute craziness like they just inject so, them really into your body and then they just find it it's weird yeah I wonder if it's like they just they actively search or it's a passive thing where your body chugs these things around right yeah and then and it's then like distributed they're activated mm-hmm. only when they reach that point yeah which I think is probably more likely um but yeah, because there's very few currently, unfortunately, at the minute, nanomedicines that actually work by targeting specific cells. It's mm. an emerging field, obviously. Yeah, but yeah. Currently, there's not many that work like that. So I'd imagine mm. it's a passive thing. That would be cheaper, right? <laughs> I know we have the technology just to put something in the body and wait for it to get to a certain point. Like, uh, So I'd imagine it's passive. Mm-hmm. That specific one, I mean. Uh, in the cosmetic industry, uh, nan- mineral nanoparticles such as titanium oxide used in sunscreen, uh, due to the poor stability that conventional chemical UV protection offers in the long term, uh, just as the bulk material would, titanium oxide nanoparticles are able to provide improved UV protection while also having the added advantage of removing the ca- <laughs> cosmetically unappealing whitening associated with sunscreen in 
they're nanoforms. Yeah, and then that just goes into the ocean. And kills the fish. And persists. But does it, yeah, affect, does it, does it affect them? Um, well, my friend actually wrote a paper on this. Okay. Uh, was it last year? Um, and basically she looked at the effects of sunscreen on corals. Okay. Uh, basically, yeah, we, we just don't know enough. <laughs> <laughs> as is all, always uh, the case but uh i th- i think it was more more of a literature review but uh i'll, I'll post the link to that on our on our twitter okay so interesting yeah check our twitter which i'll get the handle right <laughs> this time <laughs> at infoentropypod um and yeah there, there there'll be a paper there from my friend oh interesting cool uh, i'll try and find that now so i can tell you if you don't want to go to the twitter so carry on. <laughs> okay. In the sports industry, uh, they have been producing baseball bats that have been made using carbon nanotubes, making the bats lighter, improving their performance, um, making them have way much more strength so they last for longer. Uh, I'm not sure if they can make them out of fully metal. I think that's banned, but I think a covering, maybe. I don't know about much about you know baseball. We live in not a massive thing in the UK for American no, audience. It'd cricket, be good to, I might just be able to understand, but no cricket. They, I think there's like two places that like professional cricketers can actually get their bats from. Oh, uh, yeah, it's a weird like cricket bats is like a weird super niche thing where um, when they make them, they like. They, obviously, there's a lot of like you knock them, you knock the bats in, you put loads of oil, uh, and then what, at, during the the process of making like a batch, they get the best ones and set them aside for professionals. Oh, okay. It's it's a weird thing. Yeah, they don't put mm. anything on them. It's like it's a very niche thing. It's like cobbling, if you if you know what yeah. cobbling is. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Not uh, as dirty as it sounds. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, yeah. So it's um, it <laughs> it's making wooden uh, shoes, yeah, or just shoes in general. Um, obviously, the material has been developed for uses in the military. Um, one example is the use of mobile pigment nanoparticles being used to produce a better form of camouflage through injection of the particles into the material of soldiers' uniforms. Uh, additionally, the military have developed sensor systems using nanomaterials such as titanium dioxide which we now know uh is bad uh but it can <laughs> it's, it's used for detecting biological agents okay yeah yeah which you know it's very important very very important it's an important thing yeah and one of the things that i'm so impressed by all of this kind of nanotech right and it's got so many potential applications and obviously it's already in our used in, uh, as we're exploring here, medicine, but also agriculture and kind of uh, water treatment and other kind of green ideas that we, we expressed earlier. But, like, what if it just goes wrong at some yeah, point and then like, we suddenly have... It's a re- it's, Again, it's irrational, but I just, I just don't know what the limitations are, like international regulations of nanotechnology, right? If someone just wants to go, okay, we're just going to just target this crop and release x out into the world or we have a pesticide that kills this specific uh pest insect let's say or insecticide 
and then it mutates and manages to survive off the intended material plant and mm-hmm. spreads. Yeah. You know, like uh, I just think always think about it. is it Australia who introduced was it rabbits? Uh, yeah, or something. Yeah. And then they rabbits just kind of grew out no, of control, so then was... they introduced a pest. <laughs> uh, a, a, it's a it was. It was frogs. The frog. They didn't introduce frogs. Got accidentally introduced, so they introduced snakes to kill the frogs, and then they reduced introduced cats to. Then the that's that's the as the thing goes, it continues. Yeah, so they just had this massive problem because they accidentally didn't kind of look at the bigger scope, Mm -hmm. unintended consequences. You know. Yeah. Um, But I'm sure it'll be sorted out. I'm sure. Mm Hmm. Say that. Let's hope, anyway. Yeah. All right. Um, you got anything else you'd like to speak about? No, that's it for me. I've, I've, I've completed my, my two. That was my two splits. Then I know materials. Nice. I like it. So I found the paper, which is by Watkins and Salak, S A L A C H, and it's investigating the exposure and impact of chemical UV filters on coral reef ecosystems. I don't think there's a lot of, uh, and basically they, it's a review and like shows you what where we what we don't know. It's mm-hmm. one of those one of those papers. Very interesting on the topic at least. Uh, but I guess we just don't know. Like, so that's on chemical UV filters. We'd imagine that nanotechnology UV filters are, are similar, but the, the, I guess the research just isn't there. Mm-hmm. You'd imagine the research is all done in house from those sunscreen people, right? But yeah. they're going to be slightly biased in what, how those results are shown. Yeah, um, money imagine. Uh, and money. Yeah, but yeah, as I say, I'll link to that on the Twitter. Uh, but if not, you can go find it now. I've given you that knowledge, apart from the year which you're going to need. Watkins Salak, 2021, investigating the exposure and chemi- impact of chemical UV filters, uh, and you'll be able to find it with that. Um, so yeah, cool. Did what I did this week, which I completely forgot to mention. What was that? In five days while working, so my brain gets a bit distracted when I don't have like any music on or anything. Okay, yeah. And while just doing like data analysis and looking at vocalizations uh, of animals and just pulling them out of the the spectrograms and things like that, it's Honestly, there's not a lot going on. You're just looking for a vocalization. You're drawing a box around it. You're hitting enter and you, you're doing that mm-hmm. for like, I've been doing that for six days now in a row. <laughs> <laughs> in, in those six days, I've watched a season of Cobra Kai every day. <laughs> nice. I was completely, fin- I wasn't even that interested in it uh, until I finished it today. I was like, ah, oh, now I've got to find it a new thing to watch. It just doesn't look good. I'm not gonna lie to you. I was it, never. It took me a couple of seasons to get in, to be honest. Of like Karate Kid, because everyone was just like, "Oh, so you can like the kid's an asshole." Well, same actor. You can you can watch him be an asshole for another six. No, seasons, no. Mate. So so yeah. So the the guy <laughs> that won in the original movie was a dick. Yeah. yeah. Because didn't he like break a rule or something? He just like I don't know what it was. Kick to the face. Yeah. So that was that was it. Like he, everyone cheered him, and he was like, "No, you've just you've just broken the rules." So, yeah, but Cobra Kai been breaking the rules. Uh, do you know what I I got way too invested. Yeah. Um, but it's over now. 
Uh, so yeah, <laughs> I'll have to over find now. something else. It's, it's, over, it's over. It's probably for the best. Um, I start uh, this. Maybe you'll find this funny. I started watching uh, the Wheel of Time. Oh yeah, Wheel of Time's good. Ish. Thinking it was a Wrinkle in Time. Right. Okay. Because I'd only seen one advertise. I didn't realize there was two different things with very similar names. I was like, oh, I'll just watch this. I'm going to bed. I'm, you know, I'm, I know it's Disney or whatever, but, you know, it'll be, it'll be what it is. And I found out very quickly that was not Disney appropriate. No, no, it's not. I was like, not. wow, Disney's gone off the rails here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Not Disney at all. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah, it's good. Uh, so one of one of one of our friends is a real big uh lover of the book and it was interesting okay. talking to him about it. Mm. <laughs> and he was I can imagine. not yeah. happy. And I was like, Yeah, it's all right. But then looking the issue that I've got with like fantasy stuff and like, rings of power and also what I've seen from the House of Dragon, like, they don't do it. The issue being is there's there's scenes that I'm just like, oh, they're just wearing prop clothes. Like they're they're just wearing uh, they're just wearing outfits yeah. like that they wouldn't actually wear that like there's 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 no seamlessness in the scene like it breaks your immersion a little bit yeah there's a scene where they they, they find one of the the women who can do the, the powers I can't remember what it's called um but there's a bunch of men who are hunt them down and kill them uh if they go off the rails I think other way around is it no a bunch I, of women. No, but there's there's men. there's the the religion that they the the people that wear white that hunt the the women down, and then there's that's the main one, the main bad guys. Um, okay, and it's just yeah, all their outfits. Everyone, but, all their yeah. outfits. I'm just like they just look like outfit. They just they don't look like you wear these <laughs> it days looks a day. A bit like eighties Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, no, it was just like and it's, it's like, like, like there's it's pff, Halloween. And you've just put like so a you've hood turned on up. You got all the extras, <laughs> and this doesn't particularly fit. And you're going to be in the back, so we're not going to give you like you know the main guys. No, costume. see, no, that's the thing. They they've all got like these super clean, like. I'll be saying on. that's unrealistic. Yeah, yeah, but it's just like oh. it's it's too clean. It doesn't look right. Like it doesn't look. I see what you mean. Now. So right, okay, a lot of like the elven clothing in Rings of Power and the stuff that the humans wear is like, oh yeah, they would wear that because you know they work in the fields and they need something that they can move around in. Whereas like the robes that they're wearing is like if they had to fight in that, a where's your armor? B it doesn't look like you move. You can move your arms above your head. Like, it just looks like oh, they, they've, they've made it to look it's like good and ceremonial being, yeah. clothing, not actually like mm-hmm. how does this function in their daily yeah. life clothing. Yeah, which I think you're right. Look at, looking at Rings of Power, which new episode out today, uh, if you haven't seen that, and uh, House of the Dragon, it all seems quite applicable. Yeah. Some, to of, the some, of, some of the House of Dragon stuff. Uh, sorry, Rings of Power stuff, which is absolutely incredible. I saw a new theory, Tom. I saw a new theory. Rings of Power or House of the Dragon? Uh, Rings of Power. Uh, I've been avoiding it all. Not on purpose. I just okay. don't go looking for it because I want to see if my prediction is true. Okay. And then when this plays out, we'll do an episode yeah. on the science of Middle Earth, uh, obviously. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, to speak about it. Okay. Well, after, after this finishes, I'll, I'll go through the theory and I think you'll okay. like it. So I'm catch. sure. 
Hands on the flip side. <laughs> All right, yeah, we've been just speaking for an extra seven minutes here. So apologies for that. Yeah. Thank you for sticking through the rambling. But that will bring us to the end of the show. So don't forget to share this with your friends, families, co-workers, fellow nerds, people looking for other scientists on dating sites or whatever. If you've got a preferred scientist dating site, then let us know on Twitter. That would be hilarious. Mm-hmm. At InfoEntropyPod, Instagram, InformationEntropyPod, Spotify, iTunes. If you can leave us a rating, that would be appreciated very very much mm-hmm. so we have been the information entropy podcast hopefully we have helped decrease the entropy of information in your lives we'll catch you guys next week mm-hmm. time for now peace, peace.